remember the name, but he's a lot of fun. Love uh, hanging with Tyler every day, so thank you for the invite. Yeah, so let's uh, let's open up Luke, Luke chapter twenty. <coughs> Verses 27 through 47. I'm going to leave 21, 1 through 4 alone. I'm going to let Tyler grab those because that's a sermon in and of itself right there. But these 20 verses kind of all cover, kind of stay on the same wavelength. So I thought it would be kind of cool just to hammer out on these. Um, how do you guys typically do it? Does somebody just read? Do you have somebody read the scripture out? Yeah. Okay. I think one of the things... I don't want to judge anybody here on that, but I think one of the things that I've watched so many people with the Word, they read it to me in 2D. They read it like it's a story about old people before there was indoor plumbing, before there was sophistication, before there was internet or whatever. And I think there's a, a whole nuance that, that's missed in that. And So I always challenge people, try to read this thing like putting yourself there. So before, we'll read the Scripture here. and, and then, But this is the setting, is... Probably not a, a group unlike this group here. It doesn't specifically tell us, but you can tell with what's going on behind it. It's that series of time where Jesus is teaching every day in the temple. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are just trying to catch him. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to ask him stump or questions. They just finished sending spies in to try to track him down. You guys have probably already discovered this, but uh, it's, just a, it's just a treacherous time. It's not a time where... Somebody's speaking in front of a church to people who want to hear him. It's like, yeah, that's happening. But then everybody who hates you is walking through the door and kind of interrupting what's going on. I mean, you can't even imagine. He's in this temple court, and he's trying to teach. And the basically the mayor, the chief of police, the governor, you know, the senators of the time, the people who are, they're walking into this room, this setting, more powerful, smarter, richer, have all the influence over all the crowd. There has to be fear. There has to be fear. These people, and they're not, but that's what they think they are, and that was their position. And maybe more so in this time, uh, they really were powerful. They could, you know, say, hey, Tyler Cassie you're out, and you're out. I mean, you're essentially thrown out of culture and society. They could cast you down. So that's kind of where we start. So I want you to put yourself as somebody who's sitting there who's come to hear Jesus, hear what he's about, you're not sure what he's about, and then these people walk in the room. That's where we start. So I don't know who's, the, who's a good reader. Who wants to rather you want to read these out? Sure. What is it? Uh, tw- let's go all the way 27 through 47. Tell me the chapter. 20? Chapter 20. 27. Yeah, chapter 20, 20 verse 27. To the end of the chapter. Okay. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher... Moses gave, gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died. Then the third brother married her. This is continued with all seven of them who died without children. Finally, the woman also died. So tell us whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Basically, women live longer than men. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus replied, Marriage is for people here on earth, but in the age to come, 
those who those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead, for they are all alive to him. Well said, teacher, remarks some of the teachers of religious law who were standing there. And then no one dared to ask him any more questions. Then Jesus presented them with a question. Why is it, he asked, that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? For David himself wrote in the book of the Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Since David called the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? Then the crowd, listening, he turned to his disciples and said, Be aware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. All right, there's lots of little points. I think the main nugget, though, is if you're single and the person you're dating has been married six times and the, they've all died, run. <laughs> <laughs> think we can eat. <laughs> wow. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff. Uh, do you guys usually do discussion? I have some questions at the end. Sure. Yeah. I just want to kind of work through it, and then I'll throw some questions out at you. It's funny how you, I start, usually when I read scripture, I just start writing all my questions and then just kind of let the Lord kind of break it down to what I feel like he's trying to say. Um, but just starting in verse 27, the Sadducees. I mean, so here's a group of guys, right, that don't even believe in the resurrection. And what's the question they're asking? It's about the resurrection. Like, what? What do you, it's all about rising from the dead. Like, what, how, who even starts with a question that you don't even, I can't even imagine, I've never in my life asked a question to somebody about something I didn't believe already. It's like, they're not really asking Jesus what he believes. I don't even know why they would even start with that line of questioning to begin with, right? And then, can you think of a weirder analogy, even in that day and age? Like, well, there's this guy, there's seven brothers, and then they all die, and it's like, what? (laughs) I mean, you're walking into... The king, the creator of the universe is passing out nuggets. And this is where you're going. You're going to ask him about something you don't believe. And you're going to have this silly line of questioning that you really have no intention of having anybody get to the bottom of. Well, it's just they, like an atheist that will ask you, did God make a rock bigger than he could lift? Yeah, no. You know, it's, right. It's just a silly. Yeah, but I've had that question asked of me. Where does that come from? It just is one. It, it's one of those few times I feel like it's hard for me to get where they are mentally. Like, what were they thinking? Like, what? You can't. You came in to challenge me, and that's what you got. That's what you're gonna say. But again, it, to me, 
one of those things that I've never caught in this passage that I really felt like it's like you you see God's love. He's willing to stop, and he doesn't mock them. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't say, "You guys are morons, man. Get out of here." You don't even believe that. He he takes time for them and for the crowd to answer it. And uh, to me, that's one of those things where he starts the description. Where does he go here? And so this, the seven brothers, that kind of self-explanatory. And then they're asking, and now at the resurrection, whose wife would she be? They don't even believe in the resurrection. And Jesus replies in verse 34. It's just beautiful. The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Then they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. And then, so this just stopped there. So he's giving us a sneak peek into heaven. And he's telling us, yes, I believe in the resurrection. Even though you guys don't, I do. And that there is, there, I really think the Sadducees, and Chuck, you might be able to speak to it, they're coming from a place of, when you die here, it's over. That's the end of the road. And that was a big division between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, one of many, but that was a big one. And so he's just removing that. He's saying, look, where we're going is so amazingly wonderful. It's more intimate than even marriage. It won't even matter who is married to who. It's that much more special. There's that much more intimacy amongst each other and with Jesus. It's like, And it's hard to fathom. That's hard to get your mind around, especially those of us who are married, because you know the closeness that you have with, with your spouse. And just to be in that place where it's like, that doesn't even matter anymore. That's what he's trying to tell us, I think, in that passage there. You know, it, it's not worth figuring out which of the brothers, because it's not going to even matter. Nobody's even going to care. Um, and then he talks about, in 37 there, but in the account of the burning bush, Moses said that even the dead rise. He's called the God of the living. He, when he says he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it's really cool because God does not look at anything or anybody, or I shouldn't say anyone, as being dead or alive. Every every single person is an eternal being in his eyes. Because he says that, for to him, all are alive in verse 38. There's no end to uh, to any of us, um, which is amazing. It's incredibly powerful. Um, and then he, so let's see here. So he basically, that, that finishes his explanation of that. And then he goes into 39, he says, well, some of the teachers uh, of the law responded, well said, teacher. And no one dared to ask him any questions. So I just, even that response doesn't make any sense. How could something be well said if it's something you don't believe? Like, mm -hmm. Was he that convincing? Was it that compelling? Was it, we didn't trick him and we were hoping to trick him? I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean, what, why would you respond that way? You've just said something I totally don't believe. So he, to me, it's amazing that they they don't believe that he, they ask a stupid set of questions, and he doesn't respond that way. He gives a really thought out answer that is good to them and good for the crowd. And then to me, this next section here, he just kind of, again, he's trying to take the crowd. And that, what I should have probably started with this the scripture I wanted to start with, but we'll we'll just backtrack on it uh, in a second here. So you're hearing this argument, you're hearing this questioning, you're in the crowd, you got to decide, you got to filter this. So just keep that in mind as we keep going here. So then in verse 41, again, he's, he's constantly trying to point the crowd to the spiritual versus the temporal, what's here on earth. And he just says to them, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? 
David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? So again, they obviously in Jewish tradition, he was a son of David through his earthly lineage. We know that. And that's, that's how they're tracking him. All these people are looking at and this is Joseph and Mary's kid. This is a guy that we've seen grow up. What? You know, some of them, and some of them, you know, obviously he's new to them when he comes to Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, man, don't you guys get it? You know, David called me Lord. He called me Lord. And, and, and I told him to sit at my feet, you know, as a footstool to learn. And he's just, he's trying to open their eyes to the fact that he's been here the whole time. He's been here forever. Uh, he's, a, he's been an eternal son of God, not just during his time here on earth. And then he finishes with, uh, while the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, um, Beware of the teachers of the law. They will walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor banquets. They devour widows' homes and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So again, he's just trying to warn them He's contrasting two things through this whole thing. As these guys walk in with an earthly agenda, you know, uh, they start off in verse 27 with a, with a worldview of this is it. This is what we see is what is what. That's it. There's nothing more than what you're going to experience here. Um, they love to be, you know, seen out in public. They love the popularity. I like uh, Riley's version too. It's some of the the adjectives in there in that section were were better than the NIV. They love privilege. They love praise of men. They love to steal from others. You know, in the dark, they're constantly stealing, trying to devour other people. And there's no spiritual depth in anything they're doing. Everything they're doing is a show. It's for people. It's for to be seen in public. And uh, Jesus, in this whole section, is saying, uh, he's telling us of the coming age. He's declaring from the time of Moses that God is the God of the living and that everybody is alive. God says all people are alive. Again, the spiritual idea, we all know we don't all live forever in our earthly bodies. Jesus' leadership, Jesus' lordship, he's in that last section, he's declaring Jesus' lordship through eternity versus Jesus' earthly lineage, which is how people were looking at him from a natural why did he even give them his time? His love for them and all was that all of them was that deep. This answer was direct but loving in hope of repentance. Even in to me, even in his response through this section to them, even in that last section where he's saying, Hey, be careful of these guys, I still think he's saying it from a heart of, I hope they turn. I hope they get it. I want them to I'm gonna warn them. I'm gonna tell them, hey. You know, don't don't be fooled by the way these people are living. Uh, you know, you don't want to live like that, but I sure hope they turn. Which is, I don't know, I wouldn't have done that. There's no way I would have done that. So as, as somebody in the crowd, I want to go to, uh, I should have probably started here, but 1 Corinthians 2, and somebody grab uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 4. Cassie, would you read Colossians 3, 1 and 4? Colossians 3. Yeah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Okay. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When God, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I think that's really what Jesus is saying here in this whole section. Like, these guys are focused on what's here. I want you to set your mind, set your heart on things above. Set your minds on things above. So he's challenging us to do both in uh, the first two, chapter, first two verses there. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For your life, you died, your life, uh, for you died and your life is not hidden with Christ. So again, I think that's our, the challenge here. And then this, this next verse, and I want to come back to where we are and then I want to really talk about how I think this really applies to the filter, sorry about that, um, how it really applies this this showdown is a how we need to filter because it's something we're going through every day and certainly more so in our society today than they would have been then. So this uh, Cass, are you at that other one? First Corinthians two, chapter two, fourteen through sixteen. First Corinthians two is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I think it's one of those things that I should probably memorize, but I would challenge anybody to have a really good grasp of what this chapter is talking about, because it is extremely powerful. Um, and we won't go through the whole thing tonight, but we'll just hit this second part of it. 14 through 16. Please. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it, since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Read verse 15 again. What does your say there? The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. Mine reads... And I, I like that. The spiritual person, or the person with the Spirit, makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll apply that to this, this situation here. So, I mean, when you read that first verse, does that apply to anybody we're talking about in this story? No. I mean, the person without the Spirit, and that includes the crowd at this time, guys. There's no pouring out of the Holy Spirit on mankind yet. It's, there's, they're just as lost as anybody. I mean, even, even though they had hearts that were hungry enough to come hear Jesus, they didn't have the indwelt spirit yet. And he hadn't been uh, released from heaven to, to fill all of us at that time. And so, basically, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Man, I lived there one time. I remember hearing spiritual arguments and spiritual things and just being like, what? You guys are crazy. This is nonsense. This makes no sense whatsoever. Who would ever live this way? And again, why why did I make that decision? Why did I make that determination? Why did I make that judgment? Why are the Sadducees making that judgment? Because you don't have the Spirit of Christ. You don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. 
It's telling, he's telling us point blank that all things of God are foolishness to people in the world. So we can't get discouraged by that. And then it goes on to say, and this is where I think we really have to take this tonight. It's my, I think the point that God wants to make, and this is not anywhere where I started with this, is he's telling us the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. And such a person is not subject to human arguments. Let's go to the second half of that verse. The world is constantly telling me what I am or what I'm not. Sometimes it's telling me good things. And most of my life it has. But there's also times you don't wear the right clothes. You don't live in the right house. Man, you live in the valley. Man, you drive that. Man, you do that for work. It's constantly trying to judge me. It's constantly trying to tell me. I'm constantly being tried. I'm constantly being subjected to human judgments, right? What do you think this, that group of Sadducees coming into that room thought of that crowd? They had no respect for any of them, I guarantee you. Or very few, right? What you guys say? I mean, they're probably walking the door going, these people are all below us. You know, do you ever feel subject to worldly judgments? I feel like because you don't measure up in some way? And he's telling us right here, we don't. That's not, we're not subject to merely human judgments. We're subject to the mind of Christ. And it also says in that first half, which again, I think that's the, the nugget, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. It doesn't say all people. It says all things. So let's put ourselves back in that story. And it's so easy for us in this room to hear Luke and hear what happened there and go, well, those guys are the idiots. You know, Jesus was right. But would you say that if you were there? And so my question is, in what crossroads, in what intersections of where you're at in your life, are you letting yourself be subject to earthly arguments? And are you not judging with spiritual eyes by the Holy Spirit? And I think that's been the introspective point. is we're, we're at crossroads, and especially today with the Internet and all that's going on, there's so much more coming at us, and there's things that are trying to shape us and mold us, and places of authority, like being in school, you know, it's easy to take hook, line, and sinker, what some professor's telling you, or some, you know, you're even like a, a religious leader, and I tell people all the time, don't just take hook, line, and sinker, discern it, discern what you're hearing, discern the voices in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and so... I guess, let me see if I can read my questions, the three questions I had. So in this situation, as a follower, I could, uh, I need to read my own writing. (laughs) I need to be able to make a spiritual judgment. Do I believe what Jesus is saying? in this temple court, or do I believe the religious leaders? Where in the marketplace of your life are you needing to make spiritual judgments led by the mind of Christ? In the marketplace of your life, what kind of marketplace are you putting yourself in? What are the voices that are speaking into your life? Whether it be on TV, internet, friendships, work. We're all going to be environments and in marketplaces that are pulling us away from Jesus, that want us to take a look at everything 
through human eyes. And I mean, no more than our job. It's like one of the challenges I'm constantly, it's like, don't see past this bad behavior and see the heart of the person and see what their need is. What are they really crying out for? And trying to take that perspective and keeping the garbage out. I don't have to let, I can make a judgment of, hey, you're calling me every name in the book right this second, and I don't have to, ju- I don't have to receive any of that. It can stay right here. Right? Because I have the mind of Christ. I can make a judgment that that's bad behavior. It shouldn't be directed at me. I don't have to receive it. It's a human argument. That's not how God feels about me. And I'm not having any of it. Mm. And still walk in love toward that person. Does that make sense? Yeah. You guys are all looking at me like, whoa. (laughs) Um, Where are you following earthly direction or asking earthly questions? Are we asking earthly questions of God, like the Sadducees? What is my filter for knowing what is truth or a lie? What is my filter? I mean, you talk about like all mumbo-jumbo in the political world, and which channel says this, which channel says that, and I don't know if you guys are into that, but stay away from it. And if you're into it, filter it with God's eyes. Let Jesus filter what's coming at you. You have to, otherwise it'll just take your heart in a place where you don't want to be. Anybody have any thoughts or ideas on that? I find myself getting sucked in so easy. And I find myself having to constantly step back and go, okay, what what are facts? What is real? What am I going to say is real? For me, I've lived apart from this book long enough He's never let me down. Ever. I've never not tried something in this book and it didn't work. That's just for me. I challenge you to walk that out yourself. Had far from no disappointments. But he's always been faithful to me. So I can always... I've lived without this book and I don't want to live without it. I don't want to live without him. The, the filter of the mind of Christ, to me, is never toward religiosity. It's never toward separation. It's never away from the sinner. It's always with greater love and respect for the sinner. And to me, as I'm walking closer to him, I can be in the middle of those situations. And not even so that it's not that there's temptation and I don't go looking for that. That's not even relevant, but it's not it's not as impactful the garbage of people. It's like you just that's their garbage. Jesus is loving them. What are they really telling me they need right now. Can I give that to them? Can I wash their feet? Can I give them an answer to a question they don't even deserve an answer to? They don't even want an answer to. That's where we are right here, right? They don't want an answer. Yeah, I don't think. That's not what it is. Could be. That's what it is. And uh, it's easy to forget. You know what I mean? It's easy to take for granted that there's a wisdom that God gives all of us who know Him to just kind of go through our day if we'll tap in, right? If we'll tap into what it is He's trying to say. And I challenge you to, to that, that verse there where He's saying to make judgments, to make judgments of what's coming through your filter. Make judgments. Weigh it out. You know, don't say, oh, that person's going to hell, but say, wow, I can't let that come in here. 
Jesus made a judgment, right? He, like Riley said, they, he sent, they sent him in, then they sent him in secret, and then they sent this group in. You don't think he saw through all of that before they ever walked set foot through the door? He did. He made a judgment of how he was going to handle it. He handled it in love. He answered it in a way that not only put them in their place, but blessed his people, right? That really were following him. That's the kind of filter I'm talking about. That is, if we keep filtering that way, versus, oh no, stay away. You know, I can't. It's like, hey, what, what's really coming at me here? I have the mind of Christ. You know, I can handle this situation, this person, or this whatever, in, in the way that God wants me to, and uh, and not let it in to protect my heart. I don't know, does that make sense? Does that make sense? I just think that's, I just love the way it says that. We make judgments about all things that are, and I think, again, it's coming at us. I'm not going to let what I see around me change how I feel about Jesus and what he's doing in my life and who he says I am. Without having a judgmental heart toward people. That's all I got. <laughs> Can you pray for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Pray that nobody here meets somebody who's been married and died. <laughs> Don't let it be. Nobody's ever said it. No. <laughs> Father, I just thank you for this group. I thank you that there are young people who are seeking your face. I pray, Lord, that you would speak now. And I've asked you when I came here, Lord, that you would quicken each person's heart, that there's a place where somewhere they're filtering, they're not filtering out something you want them to filter out. There's something that you want them to take a look at that's going on in their life, Lord, and, and you want them to make a judgment about whether that's good for them or not, and that you'll give them strength to change that. So I'm praying you'll speak that now. Holy Spirit, you'll come and fill everybody here, myself included, with the mind of Christ. We have that mind of Christ to see things the way you do. And so I pray that you would just help us, Lord God, to filter out the noise, whether it's our phones, our work, the busyness of our schedules, our fears and our doubts and our struggles, and that you'd help us, Lord God, to hear you speaking to us each and every step with each and every person and situation we deal with. But did you help us to have the mind of Christ and to love others the way you did? So bless this group. I pray your blessing over their, their strategy and their decision-making. Lord, I pray that you'd fill this place with power each and every time they meet, that people would see the difference in who these, these young people are in their daily lives just something different and they would be drawn to it Lord God and that they would open their mouth and tell people yeah the reason why it's different is because I love Jesus he's made a difference in me so bless them Lord just bless them in this season as they obey and follow you and look to you for direction and guidance in everything that they're doing in Jesus name we pray Thank you. Thank you. Oh yeah, you bet. Very good. Let's eat.
be praying for Brooke. She's sick.